0: So this week's parsha is Parshas B'Shalach. And in Parshas B'Shalach, we of course have the famous Shiras Hayam. that's why we call the Shabbos Shabbos Shira, because of course, when Moshe and Bnei Yisrael left Mitzrayim, and they saw Kriyas Yamsov, Ra Shifchal Hayam, Mashley Ra Yecheskel Ben Buzi, the, even the simplest maidservant that crossed the sea, was able to have more hashras hashchina, more divine clarity than the great Navi Yecheskel Ben Buzi. So it was a tremendous experience that Kalal Yisrael had, a nace like no other, and this prompted Mesha and Kalal Yisrael to sing Shira to Hashem, and this is, of course, possibly the most famous Shira of all, and not only do we lane at the Shabbos, but in fact, we say it every single day as part of the davening. We have uh, the Chachamim, or misakin that every day we should say the Shiras Hayam. In fact, the Mishnaburah brings a Zayar that says that if you say the Shiras Hayam every day so it's as if you yourself cross the Yamsav. And the shira begins Az Yashir Meishah with the word Az. Then, Meisher sang when he saw the tremendous nace that happened. This prompted him to sing Tashem the following shira. And there's a medrash in Shemais Raba Parak Chav Gimel Medrash Gimel that says as follows: Ume'oz basiyal paray. In the end of Sefer of Parsha Shemais, the Torah says that Meisher Abenu complained Takarish parchu. Meshra Shabenu says, "Takadus that I don't know why you made me the leader of Klal Yisrael. I don't know why you designated me as your spokesperson to represent you. Because from the time that I started doing this, everything got messed up. All of the uh, the efforts that I was making on behalf of Klal Yisrael by your uh, by your leadership HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you appointed me to go as your emissary and whatever i'm doing is is, is is going bad you asked me to tell power let my people go and i did that and then he said okay no problem now you're no longer going to get any straw now you're going to make find your own straw to, to make the bricks and you're going to work doubly as hard and things are going to get rougher for Yisrael because you are coming here and uh and drank me a cup and making me crazy with let my people go and so Mesh Rabbeinu comes to the Rabbi Shalom and says, "May from then, from the time that you began sending me to Parai, it's been very bad for Klal Yisrael, things have really gotten taken a, a turn for the worse. Everything was okay, then comes along the Sneh, I came to the Sneh, you told me to represent Klal Yisrael, and from then on, things have taken, gone south. What's going on over here? And so he used this Lashon of Oz, may Oz Basi Pare. And the Medrash says that Mesher Abenu said by the Yam, Ba Oz With that word Oz, I sinned. I, I committed a sin by saying the Oz at that time, at the end of Parash Hashemis. may Oz Basi Pare, That was a sin. And Ba Oz, Ani Mekalescha. I'm going to praise you with that very word that I use, which is "oz." I'm going to begin my shira with the word "oz." Oz yasher Mesha. It would be criminal if I didn't mention the base Halevi at this point. This isn't going to be the thrust of our shira, but it's important to know this base Halevi. It's a classic. The base Halevi explains that a and in this medrash is that it wasn't merely the fact that Meshach Rabbeinu was atoning for the saying of az yash, of Basiel Parai with the Az Yashir, but rather what he was doing was saying that I'm not only singing Shira on the Geula, I'm not only praising you, Hashem, for the Geula that you brought to Kla Yisrael, but I'm praising you as well for the Gullus also. Meaning, going back into the thick of the Sheba of Mitzrayim, when I said the word Uz, the word that I'm saying now az is praising that period as well. The Beis HaLevi says if a person only praises Hashem for the salvation, but not for then the actual tzara, he's missing the whole point. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu really sent us the tzara in order that he should ultimately have a guula and then you should appreciate the sorrow. He says, for example, if a person, let's say, went through a great crisis, let's say a person was very sick and he was in the hospital, and then he sees the Yeshua of Hashem, Hashem against all odds heals him, so that's a, a tremendous Yeshua. He sings praise, he benches gaimel, and he makes a kiddush, and he's so happy, for what? So if you'd ask him, why are you so happy? And he says, well, because I got better. And if you'd say, uh, would you have rather the whole thing not happen? He says, of course, yeah, I'd rather not be in the hospital. I'd rather ne- never have been sick. But now that I was sick, so Baruch Hashem, I got better. The Beis Levy says says that, that would be terribly mistaken. When you have a tzara, and then you have Yeshua, what you're really supposed to do at the point of the Yeshua is not only praise Hashem for the ge'ulah, and for the Yeshua, but also for the fact that I had the Tzara also. I'm happy that I had that sickness that I got better from, because now I could praise Hashem, and I could say to everybody, God is great. HaKadosh Baruch is a Kol And I've known people like this. People have told me that they've gone through Yanamahla, um, the cancer and COVID and all that, and, and terribly, and then they, uh, they got better and they said they were happy, not just for the fact that they got better, but they were happy that the fact that Hashem gave it to them in the first place. Why? Because up until they had it, life was going by so fast, they didn't really appreciate all the blessings that Hashem gave. They never took the time to appreciate their children and to daven like a mensch and to spend time with a family and to, uh, you know, and to learn properly. And then all of a sudden they got this wake up call from Hashem and it changed their entire perspective on life. They realized that life is, is, is finite, that we're mortals and things change very quickly. And you have to appreciate when you have something good, when you have life and you're able to get up and you're able to do the things that you're supposed to be doing, that's a blessing. You can't take that for granted. So the base is mechadesh, that that's the pshad in this medrash, that Meishu is saying, I'm not saying shira, az, yasher, Maisha just on the geula, but the Oz is extending back in time and we're praising Hashem also for the actual Gaulas, for the tzara, for the shibud. Because through the Shibad, I was able to be an instrument to Mekadi to spread to the world the fact that Hashem is so amazingly powerful and mighty. Micha Hashem. Who is like Hashem in all the nations of the world and all the gods of the world? Who's able to perform miracles like Hashem? And so when you have a Tsarah and then you have a Geula, you have to praise Hashem not only for the Ge'ula, because that's only half of it, it's not even half of it, that's like maybe a quarter of it, but it's also appreciating Hashem for the tzara that he sent so that I could have the geula and I could spread Hashem's name this way in such a magnificent eifin. You know, it's interesting, if you see there's a Gemara in Erevin, uh, in, in Psachem rather, in Arvi Psachem, that says that you say halal, that the chacham and the Naviim sheba'em were misakein in halal, that we say halal on every... It's a funny lashon. It's such like a long lashon, that Chazal. The Nevi'im were to say halal on every Tzara that should not befall Klai Yisrael. And when we are redeemed from that Tzara, we should say halal on the Gula. Why is Chazal saying such a long thing? Just say, we're misaking halal on a Gula from a tzara. What does it mean, Al-Kal I'll, I'll call tsara shlai So I wanted to say, based on the base that the pshad is that you're saying halal. The, the takan of the halal was not just on the geula; it was al called tsara Also, you're saying halal at the end, also for the tsara that you went through. That neviim were misak in the halal called tsara v'tsara shleitav aleim uluchishal in galim. I'm reish gulas but it's the whole thing that you're saying halal, I'm not just on the geula but also on the Tzara, I'll call Tzara B'Tzara Shleitava as well. What I wanted to speak about this morning was this confession that Meshra Abenu said al He said, you know, Ba'az chatasi. I sin. That's a very strong lashon from Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't say, you know, I maybe I shouldn't have used that lashon of ba'az. It was uh, maybe you know not so nice to say to Hu that from the time that I was sent here as a shliach for you, everything went bad. He says ba'az Khatasi, I sin. I, commi- I committed a chet. I committed a, a grave avera by the fact that I said me'az basiel and My question is very simple: Why is that a chet? Isn't it the reality? Isn't that exactly what happened? Imagine if you were—if uh, I made you a shliach to go and do something, and uh, you know, to deliver a package for me, and, and you were—you you, and you fumbled, the package didn't get delivered to the right person, or you lost it, you know. And then you you come to me and you say to me, "I'm sorry for you know, you made me a messenger, and from the time that I, I began this shlichus, everything went south. You know, everything's been going bad." So what's the... Why is that a chet? It's just... Meish was just saying what was on his mind. He, was, he felt bad that this was going on. He felt bad that maybe he wasn't the right shliach. Maybe it was a shliach that... Were, maybe Aaron should have done everything and, or, or somebody else. But from the time that you sent me here, and I told you, I called this right away. I said I wasn't a good shliach. I said I was a kvad pev, a kvad I'm not charismatic enough, maybe. Maybe Parry didn't buy into what I was saying. You should have sent somebody else. What in Meish a sin? What's the sin? Mesh Rabbeinu was saying the reality. He wasn't throwing anything at Hashem in a bad way. He was just saying that, you know, And for that he needed to atone by oz Yashir. That was bothering me. And I think that the answer is very Pashat. That the sin, quote unquote, we can't call this, but Mesh Rabbeinu called it in himself, so I guess we can try to understand it a little bit. The sin, if Moshe Rabbeinu committed a sin, it was this, that he, you have to believe that Hashem has a plan. Everybody in life has to believe. If you're a believer in God, you have to believe that Hashem is always in charge. Hashem has a divine plan for each and every one of us. And whatever happens in our life, whether it's good or bad, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it, and Meshach Abenu, it seems on some level, did not appreciate this at this point. All he saw was immediately unfolding in real time. Everything I'm doing is falling apart. Whatever I'm, whatever I'm touching is not turning to gold, but quite the opposite. Instead of Klai Yisrael being able to appreciate a little breather from me as their leader, Everything is getting worse, and they're they're blaming me probably for everything. And so he says to Rabbi you know, everything. There's no the, where's the plan? Where's the plan? What's going on over here? You told me things. I would I would be leading Klal Yisrael to the Goulan. I'm leading them right, you know, up you know in, in, down a down a dark alleyway, you know, with uh with with a dead end street at the end. Like, what well, what's going on over here? What am I doing for them? And that was wrong. Because even when things go bad in life, when things are not exactly the way that we envision them to be, we have to appreciate that HaKadosh is running the show and that what seems bad is not really bad. What seems bad is really good. And Gamzula Lataiva is not just a cute expression or a t-shirt. Gamzula L'tayva is reality. That I believe that everything is for the best. That even when things go seemingly horribly bad, It's for the good. There's a reason behind it. Maish Rebbeinu says, Everything is bad. Okay, what what are you saying, Maish Rebbeinu? That there's no plan? You think that I don't have a plan here? Everything that is happening is happening because I want it to happen exactly in the way that it's unfolding. Just be patient and have faith in me. And you'll see how everything becomes perfect in the end but you have to have patience, and you have to have bitachon, and you have to have faith and trust and belief in God, even when things are seemingly not going in the right direction, you'll see that they are going in the right direction. And you know, there's no greater muscle for this than this actual Pasuk at the end of Shemais, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, al lamaze, if you look in the Sefer Tam Vadas, by Moshe Sternbach. He brings an amazing vart from somebody within him, Rabbi Yitzchak Elio Landau of Vilna, a, a big gadol from the city of Vilna. You know, if you lived in the city of Vilna back 100, 200 years ago, you had to be a gadol, because every single person in Vilna was a Tamil Chacham. Vilna was a city that was full of G'daylem. In fact, Rabbi Kiva Eger, the great Rabbi Kiva Eger once said, when they offered him a position to be a Rav in Vilna, he says, I should be a Robin in Vilna. He says, I, sh- I would be if I, was, if I was a shamis of a shul in Vilna. I, that would be a covet for me. Vilna was a city of tremendous So this Reb, Reb Yitzchak Elio Landau, was a, a rob in Vilna. That means that he was off the charts huge. Listen to what he says. He says an amazing thing. He says that when Klal Yisrael was in Mitzrayim so what happened was Hashem sent Moshe to be the emissary and then everything goes bad, he goes to Parah and Parah gets frustrated and, and very annoyed at Moshe and he starts uh, piling on the Sheba much harder, he turns up the fire under Klai Yisrael's feet and begins to really, really make things difficult and he says, what's going on? He asks the same question as Moshe Ravlando. He says, what's going on over here? What, what, what's happening? So listen to his brilliance. He says like this, He brings a mashal. He says, once upon a time, there was a, a Yid that was incarcerated in jail. And he very much wanted to get out of jail, understandably. And he was looking for any connections that he would have to have somebody be a champion for his cause and to get him out like we just had you know all of the the clemencies that that the president always signs when he leaves uh his president his his presidency so we see you know there was like a flurry of of uh of people that were that were patir that were uh um released from jail an amazing power of the presidency that the president has the ability to, uh, to end people's uh, prison sentences, and no matter what they are. They might be hardened killers and, uh, you know, drug dealers and uh, people that did terrible crimes, but, you know, you could just, with a stroke of a pen, the president has the ability to grant clemency, but you have to get to the president or somebody near the president to be able to, uh, to get this uh, favor done for you. So they contacted a very wealthy, powerful Jew to try to help out the cause of this yid that was in jail. So this powerful yid sends to the warden of that particular prison that you know this is uh, I don't know, let's call him Baron Rothschild, and I would like very much for you to you know you to make sure that this prisoner so and so is treated nicely. Don't treat him harshly. Treat him very nicely. You know, give him the ability to you know to daven every day and wear tefillin and give a dafyayimishir vachule. So what happens is. That the warden gets this message from Baron Rothschild, and he gets very upset. Who is this Jew that's telling me what to do? He's telling me what to do? I'm the warden of this jail. Nobody tells me what to do. This is my memshal over here. How dare that rich Jew think that I'm his puppet? Maybe he has other puppets around, but I ain't going to be his puppet. And I'm going to do just the opposite. He wants me to make life easy for this yid in jail. I'm going to turn up the fire under him. I'm going to no more tfilin and no and he's going to work double as hard and he's not going to get any kosher food and he's going to really have to suffer and he's going to, you know, have to I'm going to make him do 100 push-ups a day instead of 20 push-ups a day and he's going to have to uh you know I'm going to give him terrible zaras because this Jew outside of jail is telling me what to do. And sure enough, they give him tremendous tzaras in jail, and he's suffering, he's schwitzing. he's much worse than the, you know, and he's very upset. Like, what did you guys do to me on the outside? You thought you were helping me. It got so much worse. I thought I had it bad beforehand. Now look at what's going on. And they send this back to Baron Rothschild. And Baron Rothschild says, it's all part of the plan. You'll see. He said, what do you mean it's part of the plan? The guy's suffering. He says, no, you don't understand. He says, before... When he was just being treated like a regular prisoner, I had no tina. There was no way for me to use, to flex my muscle with the authorities above. Because, listen, the guy did a crime, he has to do the time, and he's being treated as fairly as any other prisoner is treated. No, there was no muckum for me to use any pull and protectia to get him out. But now that the warden is doubling his punishment and being mishabed him much worse and giving him einshim and terrible makas and, and yisurim, now I could go to my local congressman or my local senator or the president and say, hey, this guy is treated very unfairly. He's being treated so unfairly he deserves to have clemency just for that because they're singling him out as somebody that is, is, is different than all the other prisoners in jail. Now there's already a makam, I could be, there's a makam tfisa, I could like hop something, a taina, to get him out. Before I had no taina. Says Rav Landau from Vilna, this is exactly what HaKadosh Baruch Hu had in mind. You see, Paru was enslaving in Klai Yisrael, but that wasn't so bad. Meaning, Paru was basically a shliach of Hashem. Hashem told Avram Avinu, shona Power was basically just reading the script. he was performing exactly what Akrish Barhu said would happen, so maybe he was even doing a mitzvah. What was so bad about what power was doing? I know that tyiro you know about that he, who, he didn't who asked him to do it he didn't have to be the one to do it now that he was the one he deserves to be punished or maybe because other terutsim that are given, but that's basically, he was basically doing God's bidding in a sense, right? That's what he was doing. Hashem wanted us to be enslaved and guess what? Paro enslaved us. He deserves a, you know, a schar for that almost. So Meish Rabbeinu was sent to Paro as the emissary of Hashem to get us out and all of a sudden what's happening? Paris is really Meish Rabbeinu, you think you're going to use your your pull or your, your flattery or your power to get the Jews a reprieve, to get the Jews out. No, 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 no. I'm going to show you who's boss. Me, Hashem, who is God, who are you? I'm not listening to anybody. And that's, I'm not going to give them straw anymore. They're going to schwitzen and have to find their own straw. And I'm going to double the, they're not only going to work eight-hour shifts, they're going to work 16-hour shifts, 24-hour shifts, I'm going to really make it difficult for them because of you. Ah, says Hashem, now that Paray is really going above and beyond what I what I assigned him to do. Now it's, he's not just doing the normal Sheba that was supposed to happen to Klai Yisrael, but he was really doing Avedas Parach and he was making them terribly suffer more than anyone had ever envisioned. Now there's a Mokim to punish power. And now there's a way for me to get them out of the Sheba based on this taina that you're doing too much, you're being too from when you're being Mashabb Kali Yisrael. You shouldn't be doing it that bad. You shouldn't be treating them that way. And now I could get them out. So do you understand what's going on over here? May us Basial Parai. Meshrabina, hey what's going on Hashem, since I started coming, now things are getting worse for Klal Yisrael. Well, guess what? That's the plan. The plan was, I would send you as my emissary, get Paro really hot under the collar, really upset at who are you, who is God, and now I'm really going to show you his boss. As soon as Paro showed us who's boss, as soon as it got bad, and worse, and beyond worse... Now HaKadosh comes to our rescue. Now HaKadosh is able to really redeem us and to punish Parah for all that he did. For what? He was doing a mitzvah. No, no, no. He went above and beyond the mitzvah. He went beyond. Why? Because Meshach Rabbeinu went, and from that time on, Parah got upset. Parah gets upset. Parah overdoes the Sheba to Mitzrayim, and now there's a makim Tfisa. Now we can hop away to get Kalah Yisrael out of Egypt. So what's going on here, Rabbi say, is that Moshe Rabbeinu committed a chet in that he didn't see this. He didn't understand. He just saw the immediate real-time result of what he was doing. He said, I sent Moshe Rabbeinu, said, I, I, Hashem, you sent me here, and from then on things got really bad. What's going on? Uh-huh. But in the, with the ability to see things from a, a panoramic view, you see that that's exactly the master plan. The plan was that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm going to send you, things are going to get bad, and that's where the Yeshua is going to come from. This is all HaKadosh Baruch Hu playing with pare. Playing with pare. Making Paro basically bite the bait, and then just reeling Parai in. Parai took the bait. And that wasn't the only time that Parai took the bait. We see this... Often enough throughout the the narrative of Yitzchak's time, all the way al hayam, what happened? We see that Bnei Yisrael um, said as Yashir in this week's parasha. and what did they say? They said it says right before that that they hafek leva paray v'avodov. Hakadosh Baruch Hu flipped the heart of Paray <speaking> Rashi <in> says nebuch liradoif acharei and b'shevil maimam sheish what did Hashem say? He commanded Kla Yisrael to borrow from the Egyptians Kle Klesev, Kle Zav, small lace, borrow a lot of goods. All the clean them out. We didn't understand Bishas Maïsa why we were doing this. What are we borrowing stuff from Mitzrayim? for what? Are we ever going to pay them back? Like well, why should we borrow from them? What's what's and it's still strange, right? If you'd ask yourself, like, why did we borrow stuff? Why did we borrow all this Kazov from Mitzrayim? for what? Now we see. Because HaKadosh Baruch wanted Paroi and his, his, his 600 elite forces to come after Klai So we should see with our own eyes them drowning before us, our masters drowning before us that we feel really redeemed. So what did he do? How is HaKadosh Baruch going to get Paroi to chase after us? After they just was, were battered with 10 Makas. Why would Paray chase after us? You know why? Because Akedat said, "Borrow all the silver and gold." All of a sudden, they wake up and say, hey, "Wait a minute! We have no money left. We're all cleaned out. So let's chase after the Jews." And they took the bait of Akedat They chased right after them where they fall, right into the trap. Right into the trap. The Mamish was like play, being played so well by Hashem, one after one thing after another. And whatever Hashem was telling us to do. Was really a plan to entrap Paray in his own in his own uh, diabolical plots. That's why um in Parshas Yisrael it says Ki Badaver Asher Zadu Aleim. Yisrael saw he was so happy he saw the nisim that happened. Ki Badaver Asher Zadu Aleim. says Rashi. Pe Kadeira Shenis Shenis Pashul Shom The same pot that Paray cooked in. He got cooked himself. It was sort of like what happened on Purim. It was venahapechu, whatever Haman wanted to do to Mardochai and to Klai Yisrael, it all fell on his face. That's what happened to Parai. But you know why it happened? Because HaKadosh was brilliantly setting traps for Parai every single step of the way. In this week's parish also, it says that Bnei Yisrael went back on the derech, lifnei Safain. They encamped by a place called Baal Tzifayin. So Rashi says that was the only god that remained of all the gods of, of Egypt. Why did that happen? To fool the Egyptians. To say, ah, we have that Abbaidazara of, of Baal Tzaphain. That's where they're trapped. They're stuck there. And that god is going to help us. They ran out. They didn't get that their gods are nothing by now, but it was all traps that were being laid for them in order to, so that they should meet their ultimate comeuppance. Moshe Rabbeinu was standing at the foot of the Yamsaf after all the chain of events. He was able to now see broadly the entire perspective of HaKadosh Baruch from the beginning of the Shibad all the way to the end by the, 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 the Kriyas Yamsav, which really marked the culmination of our Geula in total. And he was able to say, ah, now I see so clearly how every single thing that Hashem does is with a plan. There's a master plan for everything. I thought it was so bad when he sent me originally, but now I have the blessing of, of, of to see things in retrospect and to see things in hindsight and be able to track how every single thing was all part of Hashem's master plan. And so, ba'az Chotasi, with the word Oz, I sinned because I failed to see how everything was going to happen, even the bad was going to ultimately be for good, it was a plan. I didn't see it then, but now I could say, Oz yashra I'm going to be Mechaper, and say now I see clearly how every step along the way was so clearly by divine, by divine consent, by divine design. And, and even the bad, like the good, is all from Hashem. There's a well-known chassem Sefer. The Chasem Sefer says on a pasuk, si You'll see me, says Hashem to my shebeinu, from the back. You'll see my back, but you're not going to see my front. My, my face you'll never see, but my back you'll see. What does that mean? So the Chasem Sefer says like this, You'll never see Hashem's face. You know what that means? When you see somebody's face, that means seeing them in real time. Right now, I'm seeing your faces on Zoom. I'm seeing your face, that's, that's right now. I'm not able to look at Hashem in the current moment and ever really understand what he's doing. Because sometimes things are really difficult in life, and I don't understand what Hashem's cheshpen is. In fact, don't we always say that? God, what are you doing? Do you hate me? How many times? Have, God hates me. I've heard this so many times. God hates me. Why does God hate you? Well, you know, I was going out with a girl and I really loved her. I thought this was the right one. And then all of a sudden she dumps me. And like, you know, God, he obviously hates me. I had a great job. I was making good money. Everything was good. And now I lost the job. God, you know, he, he doesn't get me. What are you doing, God? Why are you doing this to me? Yeah, how could I fail that midterm? How did I, uh, you know, how, how did I get into a fight with that person? And how, what's going on? Why are bad things happening to good people? I'm a good person. Why is God sending bad stuff to me? You'll never see Hashem's face. In real time, when things are actually happening, you'll never fathom Him. But for isa you could see my plan, if you give it time, from my back, meaning when a person walks away from me, I'm able to see him his back. What does that mean? After time passes, as Hashem is moving away, as it were, and now I'm able to see things with a broader perspective. Now I'm able to see God then. I could see God in retrospect, if I'm worthy. Sometimes we can't even see that. But many times, like that same guy that said, I don't know how God do that, you know, I, I really like this girl so much, and now the shidduch is off, and now what am I going to do? How am I, gonna, I can't breathe, I can't live with that. I always tell the guy, just give it time. I know it's hard to fathom right now, but if you give it time and you're patient, you'll see, you'll meet a girl, and then you'll look back and you'll say, thank God that that did not work out because it would have been a disaster. The color that I have now is a million times better than that girl, and this girl had, now I see that that girl had this problem and that problem, and I wasn't seeing straight. Hashem, helped me. But at the time, you can't see that. You don't see that. Or if you say it a lot of times, it's just lip service. Like, okay, thank Baruch Hashem, it happened. I know that. It, but you don't really feel it. But in retrospect, when things turn your way again, now you're able to look back and say, wow, it's amazing. Thank you so much. And there's a great Vart, a great story. Rapinkis brings in one of his books, Vatim During the uh, Holocaust, so the Nazis were rounding up people in cities it wasn 't yet at the point of the concentration camps, but it was still before that and and so the Nazis would very often bring Jews in and interrogate them, maybe keep them uh, in prisons for a very long time. So they hopped a Jewish girl and they imprisoned her, and they were interrogating her and It was very not good you don 't want to be Anyone, Nobody wants to be imprisoned by the Nazis, but definitely not a Jewish girl, for obvious reasons. So her brother heard about this, that she was taken to Nazi headquarters and being interrogated. So he runs there and he loves his sister. He wants very badly to save her at all costs. He was willing to give up his own life for her. So he gets into the, into the Nazi headquarters and he makes his way up to the officer that's in charge of the, of the prisoners in this, uh, in this complex. And he says, what do you want from me, Jew? So this brother of this girl says, you imprisoned my sister, you took her into custody, and I want her released right now because you could take me instead, but she did nothing wrong. Why are you taking her? Take me. So the Nazi laughs at him in like a vicious way as only Nazis could. And he says, when there's hair growing on the palm of your hand, that's when I will let your sister out of this jail. But not before that. When there's hair growing on the palm of your hand, that's when I'll let your sister out. So this Jewish young man in front of this Nazi opens up the palm of his hand and guess what was in the palm of his hand? There was a bush of hair growing out of the palm of his hand. And the Nazi got so freaked out by seeing this that he says, get this guy and his sister out of my jail. I don't want these demonic Jews in my prison. Get them out. I don't know what's up with them, but I want them out. And their lives were spared and uh, they were able to survive the Holocaust what was the story here? What happened? What happened here? How did this, was it just dumb, a miracle that you know all of a sudden hair grew out of the palm of his hand? So Pincus says, you know what happened? Years earlier, this boy, this young Jewish boy, had had a very bad accident. He had fallen off something and he scraped the entire palm of his hand. all the skin of his hand was basically scraped off. Terrible. They went, to a emergency surgery, and they had to graft skin. And they took it from a different part of his body, from, the le- from his leg, which was less noticeable and less needed. They took off skin from that part of the body, and they were able to you know, sew it up on his, on his leg. There was a scar by his leg, but they were able to take that skin that had hair on it and, and, and transfer it to the, transplant it onto the palm of his hand. And from then on, every time he would open up his hand, there was always hair on his hand from that grafting, from that skin graft. Rapinka says, now that I told you that postscript of the story, now that I told you that the hair didn't grow in real time from the palm of his hand, but it happened years earlier, does that make the miracle less or greater? Is it a less of a miracle? Are you less impressed now with the fact that, you know, oh, I thought this was like a crazy miracle that in real time the hair started growing out. I didn't know this happened 10 years, okay, so it was a natural... No, 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 Cesar Pincus. This makes the miracle greater because what it means is that Hashem, 10 years earlier, being omnipotent, being so merciful, understanding many years later what would happen that he would be in, in, in running into this Nazi headquarters, wanting so valiantly to save his sister at, at personal cost, and then needing to face this mean Nazi officer that said that when there's hair growing out of the palm of your hand, that's a, I'm going to have to figure out a way to make hair grow out of the... So 10 years earlier, HaKadosh Baruch did this. Now tell me, in the ten year span between the fact when this accident happened and the story happened with his sister, what was going through this guy's mind, this poor boy's mind? Woe was me, Hashem hates me, look at me, nobody everyone else was able to say Aleichem and shake hands like a like a mensch. Every time I shake somebody's hand, they stare at my hand and what what was what's furry about your hand? Like why, why am I touching fur when I'm when I'm shaking your hand? Why do I have to go through this accident? Why can't I just be normal? Well, that accident actually ended up saving this guy's life. How could already calculated this He already had in mind from the beginning he knew the end of the story. And that's what we have to learn. That's you're only seeing one one pixel on the screen of what's happening. Don't complain to Hashem. Don't be Baruch Hu that everything is messed up. You're seeing things in real time. You don't you can't judge in real time. You need the scope of history to be able to see in truth what Hakarish Baruch is doing. But there is a divine plan. I read a a, a similar type of story. Um, more recently, that there was, it's an amazing story. There was a guy that was listening to a shear in the car. There was a guy listening to a shear in a car. And he was driving on a road, okay? He was driving on a highway listening to a tape of a shear in the car. In the olden days, they had tapes. Um, like my father, over Shalom, just as an aside, he used to love Rabbi Franz Sheerim. He would order all of these. Today we have not. If anyone wants them, they're they're all yours. There's basically, we have like hundreds of box sets of Shurim that my father used to order. But they were all the regular old-fashioned cassette tapes. And nobody really listens to that. But my father had them. And then all the cars stopped making, you know, tapes. They they, they started going into CDs. And now you can't even get a car with a CD player. And everything is uh, MP3, whatever. But... So my father, who could afford a new car, Baruch Hashem, he could have, but he kept his old jalopy car for, like, years. He had, like, a 12-year-old car. Every yeshiva bacher, you know, myself included, gets to lease a brand, you know, not everyone, but, you know, many get to lease a brand new whatever it was. And my father could have easily done that also. Why did he keep his old car? Because his old car had a, uh, had a tape deck in it that he could play Rabbi Fran tapes and other shirims. I, I, I told one to Rabbi friend this story, and I said, you know, my father basically kept this jalopy until the day he died because of your shirim. I said, the only way to be mugged in my father's car, it was a mobile tape recorder. That's all it was. It was a moving tape recorder, because there's no other reason to drive it. The, the, the whole car was like singing to the ground. It had like some messed up hydraulic system that like the car was like low to the ground, It was, the air conditioner didn't work, but Baruch Hashem, there were tapes. Anyway, okay, that's a complete total aside. But this guy was listening to a tape in a car, and he was driving through like a dark um, highway road, and he was falling asleep in the car. It was like late at night, and he was falling asleep in the car. All of a sudden, there was a a horn that was honking. Beep, beep. And he woke up, and he realized that he was, like, about to go off the cliff on the side of the road. And that horn saved him. That horn saved him. And he woke up, and he, you know, he came to, and he, you know, he, whatever, he woke himself up a little bit, he had a coffee, and, uh, and he was good to go. So, but the, the strange thing was that he didn't know who honked him. There was no cars around him, no trucks around him, but, you know, there was a honk. Very strange. So what he did was, he listen he just, whatever, he played the tape over again. And just at that time in the shear, that was given 20 years earlier, let's say, there was a window open in that shear, and there was a truck or a car that was passing by and honking at that moment in shear. And that was the honk that he had heard. Was that at that moment that the shear was playing, there was a honk of a horn, and that woke him up. What does that mean? It means that 20 years earlier, when that rabbi was giving a shear, and there was a window that was open in the shear room, and there was a crazy honking horn. Why did that horn honk? Probably at the time, everybody was annoyed. You know, I can't hear the shear. Why is there a guy honking outside? 20 years later it was understood why HaKadosh Baruch made that car hunk because he knew that this guy would be driving on a road and he need to be woken up otherwise he would die. So HaKadosh Baruch made HaMagid MeReshis Achris HaKadosh Baruch knows the past and he knows what's going to happen in the future. So with his greatness HaKadosh Baruch made a horn knowing that at that exact moment this guy would be listening to a shir and get woken by that horn. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing story. But that's how everything is in life. Don't ever say, you know, man, life is really bad. I don't know why. Life is never bad. It looks currently to be bad. And I know that maybe I'm oversimplifying, and I know that everything is not as, it's not just, you know, horns and this and that. Sometimes it's a lot worse. And people are, that are listening to this year, whether it's the people on the Zoom or people around the world that will be listening after I know that people are going through a very hard time in life. But part of emuna and bitachin is understanding that HaKadosh has a master plan. And we don't understand it. We're not going to understand what the master plan is in real time. Right now we don't get it. I know that. But if we're privileged, as time passes, we'll be able to see in retrospect, thank God that that happened to me. Whether it was a sickness, whether it was a girl that uh, said no to you, whether it was a job that you lost, whether it was, because generally speaking, there's a reason, not generally, there's always a reason for it, and very often you'll yourself, with a passage of time, will be able to see how everything was for the good. I want to end with one more story that I saw that There was a guy that was, he was from Los Angeles, and he went on vacation in Chicago, which sounds very strange. Normally that happens in the opposite direction. But um, he was from Los Angeles. He had family in Chicago. So he was in O'Hare Airport, which is the major hub. I think it's the busiest airport in the country, O'Hare Airport. And he um, he was coming back home. He was going back to Los Angeles to LAX Airport. So he had his suitcase with him, and he went to like a checkout kiosk, you know, like just like in the supermarkets, you could sort of scan your own product, your, you know, and, and put it into the cart. So you could scan your own suitcase, put it on a scale, and just then get your boarding pass by yourself. So he basically put it on the scale, and it was over 50 pounds. You're only allowed 50 pounds in your suitcase, and this was 52 pounds, and the, you know, there's no Midas harachamim when it comes to a, an automatic scale. So you either have to pay an extra fee, which nobody wants to pay an extra $100, $150, or you can uh, take two pounds of stuff out. So he says, nah, so I'm going to go now to a, a t- you know, one of these guys working at the, at, the, at the desk, and maybe I'll find the guy that will have Rachemim for two pounds. Maybe he'll just let me go. Anyway, no such luck. He went to a guy behind the desk. The guy was really mean. And he says, no, sorry, you got to get two pounds over. You know, we're gonna, you, want, you want to give me a credit card? Or you want, to, uh, you want to take out two pounds worth? He says, come on, it's two pounds. Give me a break. No, 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 no racham there. So he basically went over to the side and he had a shopping bag with him. And he took out all this. He was very upset about it. He took out his Taliesin's fill-in, he took out a, a new shirt, uh, he took out his undergarments, and he took out uh, uh, a few other, you know, a, a, so- a pair of socks, and whatever, tzitzis, whatever he needed, he, he put it in a bag, and finally it came to under 50 pounds, and he zips up the bag, gives it to the guy with like a, you know, a dirty face, and he basically says, okay, here's the bag, and, and uh, now let me on the flight. He goes to the, to the, uh, the gate where his flight was leaving from. There's a big tumble going on. Big tumble. He says, what's going on here? He says, well, um, the flight is overbooked. For some reason, the airline overbooked the flight. And so they're being very generous. If anyone wants to delay their flight, they're giving like $1,000. And you get to stay in a nice hotel at the airport overnight. And uh, and tomorrow you get to fly to travel on on your flight, but like with an upgrade, like economy plus or maybe business class or something. You get a, a stadi upgrade as well. He says this is amazing. He says I'm not in a rush to get back to Los Angeles uh, for a thousand bucks and an upgrade and a, and a, I'll you know I'll stay. So he says fine, I'll I'll take it, I'll take the deal. I'm willing to stay overnight. They said fine, very good. And they you know they, he said but one th- one second I need my my luggage. He says no. You know, your luggage is going already to LAX, already packed in the, in the cargo of the plane. That you can't take off. It'll be waiting for you. When you get tomorrow to LAX, you'll be able to get your bag back, but not, the, but, you know, you'll, we'll be waiting for it at the end. You don't have it. He says, well, how can I do? And all of a sudden, he realizes that in his shopping bag that he has, everything that he needed to stay overnight was right there. He had his Taliesin's fill-in now, he had a change of undergarments, he had a a nice new shirt, he had his tzitzis, he had everything that he needed for his overnight stay. Mamish perfectly, was in that plastic shopping bag, and he was able to stay overnight. That's a very simplistic story, right? But I like that story, because it's not the Holocaust, and it's not these huge Yitzhi Mitzrayim stories, it's an everyday story. That we can all somehow relate to, because this is the story of our life. We always have these little things that, if not for this thing, my life will be perfect. If I didn't have to, you know, get that parking ticket, I would have had a great day. If I didn't have to, you know, have this traffic jam. If I didn't have to have this, uh, you know, the extra two pounds of my luggage. If I didn't have uh, you know, have to take this, uh, this, this, uh, uh, borrow this, or take that, or give that. Or there's always something that's like not geschmack. And we're upset about it, bothers us, it ruins our day, we get down about it, somebody says something nice to us, and we're, that gets us upset, and it, you know, the way to look at everything in life, everything, big and small, is seeing the Yad Hashem in everything. Because if you have Bitochen, and you really have bitachin, and a lot of us don't, that's the truth, but if we would work on our Bitochen and really mean it, not just lips are, I believe in God, and Mir Hashem, Baruch Hashem, but if you, if you basically honestly believe in the Rabbinic Shalom, if you honestly believe in the Rabbinic Shalom, and you honestly understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running the show, that, what we, that there's something in the world called Hashkocha Pratis. Hashkacha Pratis means every little thing that happens every day of our life, every minute of our life, is for a reason. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a plan for us. HaKadosh Hu loves us. These are givens. These are givens. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves every one of us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu treats every one of us like a ben yachid, like an only child. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the kol yachl. These are all the givens. You know, if you ever take geometry, you know, you have to take, you have to give all of the givens, right, one after another, in order to explain, you know, why two triangles are, uh, are, uh, you know, whatever, are the same. Whatever you, I forgot the words already. But, um, so you have, to, you have to prove it. You know, A equals A, and a equals, B equals B. This, this angle equals that angle. And the law. you know, therefore, if you have all of these givens, then you could prove the proof. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is treating us like a ben yachid. HaKadosh Baruch Hu watches and monitors everything that goes on in every single inch of the world at every time. He knows everything about the past, the present and everything in the future. If you believe in all that, then, then you have nothing to worry about. You will be the happiest man in the universe. This is what the Khvasvos tells us: that the secret to happiness in life is not winning the lottery. The secret to happiness in life is not getting an A on your test or being uh, very, very successful in your profession. We know many people that have all of that and they're miserable. The secret to happiness in life is emunah Because if you have emunah then you know that there is nothing bad. Everything that happens in life is good. It's all good. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when things are good, that's great. When things are bad, that's good also. Because it just means HaKadosh Baruch Hu is just doing something for my good. He's doing something for my good. And we see this time and time again. We know ourselves how our life sometimes takes unexpected plot twists and, and turns that we, in, we didn't see happening. We didn't see this happening. I thought that I was about to get engaged. didn't happen. I thought I was about to land that externship, that job. I was going to get this summer thing, and, it, and then COVID strikes and everything changed. I thought I was going to be healthy, and now I'm not. I thought that I was gonna be able to um, you know to to, to, to to learn today, but then somebody calls me and there's my whole day and now I can't learn. And and we look and we get every we get so frustrated. And when that, that ruins our Simcha Don't let it. Don't be chayte with Me Az basyal Yal Pare Sing a Shira. Az Yashir Mesha, the Shira that we sing this Shabbos. And every day we have this opportunity to sing Shira. And like we said at the beginning, the Zaire says, if you sing Shira every day, you'll be happy. You'll, 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 there, if, you, if you have Shira in your life, if you sing Az Yashir, it's like you yourself went out of Egypt. You know what that means? Just like the Jews at, Yitzhias, at Kriyas Yom Yamsov recognized everything that happened in their life was a Shira. Like the Baisa Levi says, they were singing Shira on the Tzara. When we sing Shira every day in our life, we say, Az and we remember this Vart, that when we sing Shira, it's not only on the, on the Geula, it's on the Tzara. It's for the lack of recognition of Az Basel Paray was really a bracha, it was a blessing in disguise. When we're able to understand that, it's like we went out of Egypt ourselves. We feel the Geula every day ourselves. I got up in the morning, I said, Maidan, I'm able to go Davin. That's a shira. Sing the shira. Aye, but it's not a perfect day. It's raining out, and it's this, and it's. I thought this would happen, and that. Ha- no, 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 no. Hakadosh Baruch Hu has a design. There's a master plan. Believe it. Believe it, and if you believe it, and you make your whole life a constant Oz Yasher Maisha. If you're constantly singing Shira Hashem, not only for the geulas that you're having but it also is on all the tzaras that you're having as well. That's the ultimate geula. That's the geula that we all need in life because we're able to really feel every day charged that Baruch Hashem, I have a God that's omnipotent, that's on my side. I have everything that I need. What do I need? I have everything in my plastic I have my talisman, film, my clothing. Everything that I have, I have. That's how we should feel. We should realize that whatever we need in life, we have. And whatever we don't have, even though our friends might have it and our, our family, there are people around us that seem to be wealthier or cooler, more popular, more successful. That's, not, that's what they needed. It's not what we need. We need exactly what's in our bag. HaKadosh Baruch Hu equipped every one of us with our own unique package in life, with our own unique kalim, with our own unique talents and personality and challenges, yes, and all of that is in order to bring about the ultimate gu'ulah personally. And when we're able to fathom that and understand that and see this as, as our mission in life, that's where happiness lies. Az Yashir Mashah. Rabbi, say have a beautiful Shabbat Shirah and remember every day to try to sing Shirah to the Rabbi Yislam, not just on the good things, but even and maybe especially on the bad things. Have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos.